<laughs> if you already know Drake or you already been on Drake's TikTok or his lives or his Sunday Zooms, which will be once a month now. <laughs> Did you know? Now you know. <laughs> you know whose voice this is. It's Shan from She Gets It Pod. So while you're listening to Everything Culture with an A, not a die, check out She Gets It pod all right i know i'm the one with the little boo me on there that's me all right new season new season 22 giving y'all encouragement motivation and a real insight in the things that i think about on a daily but i'm saying them out loud to y'all so check me out on she gets a pod on your favorite podcast app and also find me and the rest of my podcast on shambypodden.com. Now, I hope you're enjoying this show with everything culture. Hey, Drake. I'll let you have your mic back now. Bye. Uh, my daughter. Absolutely my daughter. And so um, I think she's given me purpose mm. that I didn't understand I didn't have before. And so she's, she's 13 and she's going to be starting high school next year. She's so... I'd always figured I'd have multiple kids. I thought two, three minimum. Some challenges came up after she was born very, very early on. Um, she was a little bit early, about six weeks early, but you know, I'm, I'm a big guy. Her mom's not small either. And so she came out otherwise full term size. We thought we'd be going home pretty soon, but her heart rate was not slowing down, which sometimes happens with preemies. They don't know they're out yet and the heart's still beating really fast. So uh, we were living up in Marysville at the time. And so she's in Providence hospital and they figure out she's actually got a malformation in the back of her brain that blood's going up there and it's not coming back. So the heart jumps up, starts pushing. And um, this malformation, you could have it anywhere. You could theoretically have it in your foot. It just so happens she has it in the back of her brain, this venal malformation. And so uh, they said, Hey, there's a procedure, but it's very risky. We need to do it while she's young because if it goes wrong, she's got chance to recover, but um, we need her to be a little bit bigger so we can see what we're doing. So we waited a little bit. Then she had to go in for uh, basically like brain surgery about three months in, did really well. On the second one, she had a stroke. And so that stroke then left her with cerebral palsy and epilepsy and some other delays and such. She's very high functioning. I don't put her on social media a lot. So not a lot of people say, I, it's not, I don't hide her. She can be on there. I just, family life is that, this kind of photog Steve thing is like a, you know, that's my work and that's family. And so- um, but she, she just got in special Olympics this year, did really well, um, has been having fun with AI, yeah, been having fun with that. So she can walk, she can do a lot of that stuff. We've had to go in for other procedures along the way, but where I was going with this, it changed the trajectory a lot because early on there was a life expectancy component too. And we've gotten past that now. I think she's going to have a long, fruitful life, but she, uh, at the time we didn't know. And so we didn't really want to start over having another child. And then if that, if something catastrophic happened with Claire as my daughter's name, having both those things intertwined. So then time went by and more time went by and, and now in my forties and such. And, and we're like, geez, do we really want to start over? Be walking a kid down graduation to high school coming up on 60. And so uh, I feel good with the path that we're on, but it's interesting to just have one child. You know, as you were talking about with Joe, I would, I was always wondered, like, what would the second one be like? What would I do differently? Whether it was with intent or just that, you know, you kind of come in and go, well, I kind of know this path and I'm not as scared of the things that I was worried about before. I don't know what that would have been like. It could be the second kid would have been an absolute terror 
because you know we weren't doing the things that apparently worked. But um, that was so that was kind of the life that, that came out of that. But out of that, she has provided so much strength for me, especially in the lows of life, and given purpose of so those moments where you go, "Man, what am I doing it for?" and um, would you know would I even continue to be here or not? when you have that child in your life to, to, to focus on, especially, you know, her needs are a bit different. We have a much kind of more unique relationship than you would usually have with a teenager who probably doesn't want anything to do with their parents. And she has, she needs help with a lot of things. And there's, there's a, there's a, a closeness that comes with that, that I think is unique that a lot of parents with special needs uh, are lucky enough to be able to, to experience. And there's certainly challenges that come with it, but I think the, the it was a lot of positives of, of things that, you know, the stuff she she'll come, she's thinking about boys now and stuff like that, and and is coming to talk to me about it. The type of things I would never expect a daughter at 13 years old go. I want to go talk to dad about this, but I think those kind of things come through that kind of close, unique relationship that a special needs kid and a parent get to have. To where you're that one that she comes in, she goes, "Hey, this is what I'm thinking." What do you think about me dating? And then I have to go, holy shit, what are, are you serious right now? But then I also go, well, this is beautiful. You felt like you could come and talk to me about it. Now I got to figure out a way to keep this constructive and helpful and not show you that I'm like freaking out inside. The joy of children laughing around you. These are the makings of you. It is true. The makings of you. Hello, beautiful people. It's your host, Drake, back with another Megas You. And this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever you're listening, I'm so happy to introduce to you all, Steve. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm great. You know, it's getting a little bit warmer up here in the Pacific Northwest, so I'm enjoying that. Yeah, same here. It's it's happening early this year. May is a little warmer than I'm used to. Oh, goodness. I've been telling folks that, you know, me being from Texas, this is this is nothing to me. I like it. <laughs> and I, I still got my hoodies. Out, I got my shorts on almost the same thing. And I just look forward to the body of Seattle coming back. And that's something we can talk about later. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking for the food and the outings and hopefully some water days. And it, it's just I love the weather up here and seeing the mountains and the clear skies. Don't get me started. Yeah, <laughs> but yes. So I want to say thank you again for joining us. And this is the makings of you. If you've never heard of it before, or if anyone haven't heard of it, heard of this before, we're everything culture, but we're big on getting to know our guest. So when you we have our people come back on the show and they talk about our certain topics and this, you know on our panels and the certain discussions, we want to know who are they. You know what what makes them a professional. Or so in tune of what we're discussing. So we do the makings of you, where it's a string of questions, getting to know a little bit more about you, your childhood, your upbringing, your values, your point of view on life. And we're here to have a good time, but we're here to have a real time. But we're thankful for having you again. And are you ready to get into it? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Let's do it. All right. All right. All right. Steve, first question. How would you describe yourself? Ooh, uh, complicated. 
like that. Like you that. More depth, or is it we're doing one word so far? What are you looking for? Hey, this is the makings of Steve. How you put it? That's what we're rolling with. We're rolling with. Yeah, I okay. think complicated and evolving. How about that? I like I like the idea of evolving, right? You should continue to evolve. Love it. Love it. I like that. I like that. I like that. Okay. What made you agree to come on the show? Uh, I've been seeing your content. I saw you follow me and I think you made a comment and I looked and I was like, oh, I'm familiar with this guy. I've seen your stuff come across my page from time to time. So I followed back. Notice you're local too. There's not a lot of us out here doing a lot of social media stuff out there, especially on TikTok. And so that that was interesting to me. So I followed back, didn't really know where that would lead. And then we started chatting, going from there. And when you said, hey, do you want to come on? I was like, yeah, I absolutely do. I love it. Thank you. You know, it was exciting to get the offer. Straight like that. Love it. Thank you. And thank you again. Absolutely. Just had a discussion with one of our previous guests talking about using your resources. Sometimes you may just need to reach out and talk to someone. And I'm like, you're absolutely correct. You know, sometimes you don't know who you can be in touch with in such a short notice. And I'm thank you, thankful for just answering my messages and being such a kind, open person. I would say that first and foremost. So, Steve, what cultures do you represent? Oh, wow. Well, so my work is kind of different in that, you know, I think what my role is, is because I'm a camera guy, I'm doing the social media thing, but really my background before this was home building and real estate development. I've built a lot of property all throughout King County and Seattle from single family all the way to multi-unit. And then when the pandemic hit, I've had this desire to get into photography. And so the pandemic hits, I'm like, man, this is kind of this weird once in a lifetime thing. If I want to pivot, now's the time to do it. What would I want to do? And I've always really wanted to be able to go out and tell people stories and people from all over the world. I think, you know, especially what I really like to do is tell the stories of people that others might try to avoid in their day to day. You know, people that somebody yes. might cross the street and avoid, try and stay away from. I want to go tell those stories because I think those are some of the most interesting people out there and be able to show people what makes that person tick. And so, um, you know, when you say me culture, I, I think I'm kind of a mix of, I'm a, I'm a very curious person. I love to know what makes others tick. So I don't know that there's one culture that I really lean towards or a fit more in. I like to, I like to go to places, like I said, that might, some people might find uncomfortable. It's just kind of the type of thing I'm driven to. So I'm always, I like to, I like to travel. Um, I've been lucky enough to go around the world to other countries, you know, much less developed nations than the one we get to sit in um, and meet people all over the world. So I'm kind of, do- I don't, I'm, I'm not dodging the question. I just think it's, it's a complicated thing. I like to go out and experience it all. I don't know if there's one I really represent or, or gravitate towards. No. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you so you kind of you know alluded to it just a little bit but where are you from so uh i'm born and raised in washington growing up we moved around a lot you know the landlord had to get us out of one place we moved to the next so i went to a lot of different schools that kind of thing through everett and bothell and but i i usually say marysville because marysville is where i went to high school i learned how to drive started dating all those kind of big you know coming alive type things coming yes. of age type of stuff happened there so my simple answer is Marysville, but we moved around a lot, but always, always, you know, within an hour or so of Seattle. Okay. Okay. Marysville. I've heard of Marysville. I'm still getting, I'm still learning the streets here in Seattle. So I'm getting around to it. So, okay. It was a lot different years ago. It was, it was a pretty rural town. It's still kind of rural, but back then it was, it was a small town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I come from one of those. Totally understand. So, 
Do you mind sharing your age with us? Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, 41. Be turning 42 here shortly. I had to think about it for a second. I'm 41. Take your time. You know, I'm right there with you. you know, it's an <laughs> 80s baby, so we're okay. <laughs> yeah, you stop really. T- it used to matter exactly how old you were. Now it's kind of like 40 something. You know, it's all everybody thinks it's once you hit 40 to 40 something, everybody thinks it's the same. So, trust me, it, it blurs together. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> so, how would you define your childhood and upbringing? Um, it was, I mean, I was a happy kid. I've always, I think, been a pretty happy kid. It was, uh, tumultuous i think it was where i kind of not realizing at the time but later on how i got to be i believe pretty understanding of people or or uh, accepting of people you know that everybody somebody's something at some time mm-hmm. regardless of where their life goes and, and where that journey may run astray there's still something to somebody and so um i grew up around a lot of people immediate family and and pretty close family that had a lot of struggles and stuff that they had to deal with personal demons and such that they had to struggle with. And uh, so I had to grow up pretty early, but in the end, I I think I wouldn't have it any other way. And I think it's kind of given me a very unique worldview on, especially, you know, sound cliche, the the type of challenges Seattle deals with are the type of stuff that I grew up seeing as well. And so uh, I think it creates a level of understanding that it, it can be unique. Lovely. Thank you. So where were the roles of your caregivers? Uh, so, <laughs> you know, my mom, we, we generally live with my mom. It depended. Sometimes she was mom. Sometimes she needed more of a, a friend and an equal confidant, which, you know, depends on the age, whether or not that's good or bad or whatnot. But um, so we usually lived with her, uh, lived at my grandma's a lot. Uh, and especially like elementary school, she would live there. My mom would live there too, but we kind of bounce around. Um, my dad and my mom would, you know, split up, then they'd try again and then split up and then ultimately stayed apart for a long time. So, um, you know, most of my experience was single, single parent type of thing with my mom. But uh, my dad and I remained relatively close through all of that. He was somebody I think who uh, probably didn't plan on having kids that wasn't his jam but he was somebody who believed in, who believes in responsibility so he was going to stick with it and do what he needed to do um, but we didn't really bond until i became an adult because there, you know for him there wasn't much he had in common with a kid so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of came later uh so he and i then finally got close and and um you know had things to complain and, or talk about that we could relate to more relatable to each other mm. Growth. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And I know you said we a few times. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I have a little brother or little to me. He's, I mean, he's, man, he's going to be 40 soon too, I guess. But yeah, little brother. Okay. And close in age. Okay. Did you, did you feel like the big brother? Like, like what were some of your first responsibilities? Like what was your first sense of responsibility? Yeah, I think I definitely, I was always, you know, I was like, 10 years old going on 20 back then it was just kind of how you know you kind of fit that as older son especially in a household where you know you kind of had to fend for yourself more or less you know you you become that and so which i kind of i always wanted to be older anyways there's some people don't want that i did i was just i wanted to be able to drive and do things and you know i look back and didn't realize how simple i had it but when it, when, it, when i was a kid and had no responsibilities i couldn't stand it i just wanted to get out and do things so i gravitated fine towards it but uh he and i you know we relatively close we don't talk much now we don't you know we talk a couple times a year so he's kind of gone on with his life and i've done mine 
Um, usually there'll be some big event in the family that draws us all together. We got to solve something. So, and then we, you know, we don't talk till the next big thing comes up. We got to solve. Understood, understood. Thank you. Thank you. So how do you feel about your education so far in life? Uh, you know, I wish that I had taken a lot more advantage of that earlier on. So I didn't, you know, I didn't go to college. Uh, I didn't graduate high school. I went through the end. I, j I didn't, it didn't work out. So um, for me, I always, I like to work. So, you know, going back to my dad, that was always his thing. It was a very strong work ethic. And so I was already working 30 hours a week in high school, you know, during the, during the school week. And then even in junior high, my first job, I was like 14 and was able to put in 20 something hours a week. And so I was social. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't causing problems in school. I get, get in trouble here and there, but nothing too big. But, um, I just, all I wanted to do was get out and work. And so. Uh, I did just that once I was done with, with uh, high school, started working full time. My ultimate plan originally was I actually wanted to get in law enforcement and was really serious about it, which is hard to do. I, I was going to have to look at a GED program, but I wanted to get, while I was looking at that, to get my diploma. Uh, back then, you know, this is 99, 2000, yeah. if you were over six feet and didn't have a criminal record, you were a prime candidate for state patrol, which I had no desire to go write tickets, zero. That just was not what I wanted to do. But they pay for your schooling. So if you did two years with them, then you could go to county and do something like that. So I was working at Hagen and Marysville stocking shelves at night. And then I got recruited by Dryer's Ice Cream to go be a sales guy for them to sell to convenience stores and ultimately uh, retail grocery stores and found myself making a bunch of money. It was a job I was pretty good at. It was a lot of work. but And so I thought, well, I'll wait. I'll do this thing, put some money away. Then I'll get into law enforcement later. And then... 2003, Nestle bought out dryers and I got a severance package. And then I decided what I was doing there is this job is called a route salesperson. They also have franchise things. So back then, Sara Lee Fresh would actually sell you a territory and then you would buy product from them, like bagels, all the stuff you buy at the store, then sell it to the store. So I took my severance, bought into a franchise route again, thought, well, I'll get to, I'll get to uh, law enforcement later on in life. And then some time went by and then sold that and then started flipping real estate. And again, thought, well, I'll just wait, I'll, you know, I'll get older and maybe I'll still want to do it. And then as time went on, that career took off and I got old and starting over, you know, to go, go get law enforcement. It's not really for me. And law enforcement is a lot different now than it used to be. And, uh, I still wonder what it would have been like if it was something for me, but now, it, you know, it's worked out fine, but it's uh weird, you know, how, where life takes you and what you thought you were going to do then it ends up being something very different. But I, I think what I do now is a lot more rewarding than that could have been for the way my brain and mind work. That's a whole lot to be said that I live on right there. That oh, yeah. A lot of my mentees to hear this right here. You see how things change, you know, how, <laughs> you know, things just fit in place. You just have to keep working forward. But we ain't worried about that right now. We're talking about Steve. This is the makings of Steve, y'all. So <laughs> once again, thank you for sharing. So how were you disciplined growing up? Um, it was thankfully, well, when I was much younger, you know, there was spanking stuff like that. As we got older, when my brother came on the scene, they decided that that wasn't what they wanted to do. So they worked it out on me. But uh, then it was more, you know, I think the really good thing about the, the house I grew up in, you know, regardless of discipline or whatever else, we always knew we were loved. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a very important thing. I think you look at a lot of people who may struggle later in life and they say, well, it was what I grew up in or didn't grow up. And I think that the, and you can be in a pretty tumultuous place, but if you know that you're loved, no matter what, that unconditional love, I think matters a lot more than where you spanked or where you hit or, or whatever. Right. Um, but I think most of, I think the thing that my parents were pretty good at, especially my mom was very consistent. It's something I've tried to do as a parent. It really doesn't matter what you do, but you need to do it consistently. I've never spanked my daughter, never hit her. If I raise my voice, I don't, she like snaps to, I don't think she knows what the next level would even be. Right. Because it's yeah. always, we, it's very consistent to keep her in line, but also not have, I don't want her to fear me. I don't want to have to yell or threaten to do something. You know, I, I want to be a place where she feels safe, also knows his expectations, but doesn't fear. Mm, very good job. Um, Thank you. My background is in social work, child welfare. And okay. my pillars, respect, communication, and consistency are some of the, um, the one, two, and three on building a relationship. And a mm-hmm. lot of that, it goes to, I used to teach parents, hey, you need to show respect, you need to know how to communicate and be consistent on your discipline yes. and communicate like all the way through. If the children don't see that, they're not going to value responding to you. It's right. so when I took these pillars on to this right here, this platform right here, same thing. I have all my guests is to be respectful to one another, allow people to come and communicate and be consistent across the board to each other. I believe that's an effective in all relationships between personal, romantic, even business yes <laughs> three things are Absolutely. so effective so and thank and you thank you could you. even use i mean the, the corner can be a pretty stiff penalty if it's used consistently and appropriately you know That's i what, think that it, at that point because it's all relative right whatever you're used to this is what your extreme is but if your extreme is way out here, that's what you're going to need to go to <laughs> to get compliance. And that's not healthy. And we talk about the corner because people don't understand, like the corner could be abusive as well. <laughs> you know, if, yes. if, if it's used improperly, if you don't communicate why you're going into the corner in the first place, you know, just go. Right. That's going to cause issues right there within the child and the, 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 the connection between the two. And they're going to start acting out without communicating. But ooh, when I say you can go down the details about that. It's wild, but it's no perfect book to be a parent. You know, it's no how to. It's just little things you continue to learn along the way. So, right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So our next question. What were and what are your beliefs? Oh, wow. I think. I think when I I'm going to take kind of the. So I think kind of one of the pivotal points for me was when I was in my very late teens, early 20s. So I'd gotten into, you know, I'd gotten a real job at that point. I'm, it's a very, working at dryers, doing what I was doing was physically demanding, a lot of hours. And as I mentioned, I was making a, a fair amount of money, a lot of money, especially for somebody that age. And you, you can very easily get fully yourself thinking that you've really done something like, look at what I've done, look at what I've accomplished. And it's because I work hard and so on. And as I've gotten older and gotten to experience some other, uh, you know, wins and business and such, and been able to do some things, but also seen other people who I grew up around who work just as hard, if not harder and not be able to realize those successes. And I've really tried to, 
keep in mind, like I, I have on the back of my house out here, I have the American flag, which now, nowadays seems to sometimes carry positive or negative connotations, right? And people, how to use it, but I like to have it out there and I have multiple of them on the back of the house. And it's because to me, what that reminds me of when I come home every day is it's not how hard I work or the things I do. I could work far harder than I've ever worked and not have any opportunity depending on where I was in the world. But you know, what, what's in your circle, what's around you is going to dictate a lot more than you saying, well, I'm working harder than everybody else or I'm special or whatever. Right. And so I think, I think that was a big thing because in my early twenties, I thought, man, I'm really doing something unique here. I'm doing something special. And, and if somebody else is accomplishing something too, that, that reflects on them or reflects on what their capabilities are. And then as you get older, you screw it up a few times, you, you know, you fall on your face here and there and you realize how vulnerable all those things really are. And that really, at the end of the day, it was, it's a mixture of, I think, hard work, but a lot of luck and, or being able to take advantage of an opportunity when it becomes in front of you, when others aren't, because there is a balance too. even like, I think of my dad in a lot of ways, uh, how he worked so hard. There were things he wanted to do in life and he never could because he's putting in 60 hours a week and doing what he's doing. And so when that opportunity comes up, you can't even take advantage of it. And so my life now is much different now. I work a lot, but I also am very agile because I don't know if something's going to go like being able to come and sit and talk with you today. You know, if, if that comes up, it's like, that's something I want to do. So I need to make sure that I have a life that when that opportunity presents itself, I can get on it and take advantage of it. And, you know, I'm kind of bouncing around here. You're asking me things I haven't really thought about in a while. So I'm, I'm kind of working through it outside here. But um, I think that was a big one that I, you know, years ago, I'd work 80 hours a week if I needed to, maybe more. Travel, do all the stuff, grind, get up at 3.30, 4 a.m., push all the way through and think, look at all that I've done. And there's a lot of things you miss in that process. And part of it is learning what actually makes you happy. Not in, Usually, you find out later in life, is not just the grind. The grind helps. The grind gives you opportunity to do other things, but does it really if you don't have the ability to do those other things because all you have is the grind. Mm. Thank you, Steve. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the makings of you, by the way. That's how it flows sometimes. So let's see. Um, who has been the biggest influence in your life? Uh, my daughter. Absolutely my daughter. And so um, I think she's given me purpose mm. that I didn't understand I didn't have before. And so she's she's 13 and she's going to be starting high school next year. She's so, I'd always figured I'd have multiple kids. I thought two, three minimum. Some challenges came up after she was born very, very early on. Um, she was a little bit early, about six weeks early, but you know, I'm, I'm a big guy. Her mom's not small either. And so she came out otherwise full term size. We thought we'd be going home pretty soon, but her heart rate was not slowing down, which sometimes happens with preemies. They don't know they're out yet and the heart's still beating really fast. So uh, we were living up in Marysville at the time. And so she's in Providence Hospital and they figure out she's actually got a malformation in the back of her brain that blood's going up there and it's not coming back. So the heart jumps up, starts pushing. And um, this malformation, you could have it anywhere. You could theoretically have it in your foot. It just so happens she has it in the back of her brain, this venal malformation. And so uh, they said, hey, there's a procedure, but it's very risky. We need to do it while she's young because if it goes wrong, she's got chance to recover, but... Um, we need her to be a little bit bigger so we can see what we're doing. So we waited a little bit. 
Then she had to go in for uh, basically like brain surgery about three months in, did really well. On the second one, she had a stroke. And so that stroke then left her with cerebral palsy and epilepsy and some other delays and such. She's very high functioning. I don't put her on social media a lot. So not a lot of people say, I, it's not, I don't hide her. She can be on there. I just, family life is that, this kind of photog Steve thing is like a, you know, that's my work and that's family. And so, um, but she, she just got in special Olympics this year, did really well, um, has been having fun with, yeah, been having fun with that. So she can walk, she can do a lot of that stuff. We've had to go in for other procedures along the way, but where I was going with this, it changed the trajectory a lot because early on there was a life expectancy component too. And we've gotten past that now. I think she's going to have a long, fruitful life, but she, uh, at the time we didn't know. And so we didn't really want to start over having another child. And then if that, if something catastrophic happened with Claire as my daughter's name, having both those things intertwined. So then time went by and more time went by and, and now in my forties and such. And, and we're like, geez, do we really want to start over? Be walking a kid down graduation to high school coming up on 60. And so, uh, I feel good with the path that we're on, but it's interesting to just have one child. You know, as you talk about with Joe, I would, I was always wondered like, what would the second one be like? What would I do differently? Whether it was with intent or just that, you know, you kind of come in go, well, I kind of know this path and I'm not as scared of the things that I was worried about before. I don't know what that would have been like. It could be the second kid would have been an absolute terror because you know we weren't doing the things that apparently worked, but um, that was, so that was kind of the life that, that came out of that. But out of that, she has provided so much strength for me, especially in the lows of life and given purpose of so those moments where you go, man, what am I doing it for? And, um, would, you know, would I even continue to be here or not when you have that child in your life to, to, to focus on, especially, you know, her needs are a bit different. We have a much kind of more unique relationship than you would usually have with a teenager who probably doesn't want anything to do with their parents. And she has, she needs help with a lot of things. And there's, there's a, there's a, a closeness that comes with that, that I think is unique that a lot of parents with special needs uh, are lucky enough to be able to to experience. And there's certainly challenges that come with it, but I think the, the, there's a lot of positives of, of things that, you know, the stuff she, she'll come, she's thinking about boys now and stuff like that and, and is coming to talk to me about it. The type of things I would never expect a daughter at 13 years old go, I want to go talk to dad about this. But I think those kind of things come through that kind of close, unique relationship that a special needs kid and a parent get to have to where you're that one that she comes in she goes hey this is what i'm thinking what do you think about me dating and then i have to go holy shit what are, are you serious right now but then also go well this is beautiful you felt like you could come and talk to me about it now i gotta figure out a way to keep this constructive and helpful and not show you that i'm like freaking out inside <laughs> steve i don't know if you're right i had to say a quick prayer for you early on <laughs> oh my goodness i don't have any kids yet you know and that's what i'm sorry everything you're thinking about i'm thinking even start with one i'm like i'm 36 i'm like yeah oh i kept saying i'm like it's time to hang them up no <laughs> on the wall <laughs> but it's beautiful i mean this is you know i'm gonna keep you in mind i'm gonna have to bring you back for the father's Day recording that i'm trying to plan yeah. for this weekend <laughs> everything's just flying by but that's absolutely amazing and i love when i hear parents especially fathers um, build a relationship with their kids and you're heading into the teenage like when you say teenage i'm like oh wait 
they change, you know, and once again, me being a mentor and being around kids, I'll tell people, you know, I tell parents, best thing you have is have your kid to have a mentor or have that village, have someone else. Because like right now, you you know, you have that connection, but ever to that point, you need to have somebody else that had that connection that you also have a connection with, too. So it all comes together. Um, I remember I always mess with my friends and I think when you have kids, you forget what it's like to be a teenager because, yes. and how, and how, I think I just put a video up a few days ago, like how stupid you were as a teenager and the <laughs> things that you did. And, you know, you really don't even know why you did it, but you do it. And it's one of those things like expect this. I don't know what you think you're different, but it's going to happen. You know, it's going to come on, come along. You just prepare for it and, the best you can to be an open and understanding. So, and I am so make sure to direct one of that. One of those last generations you and I got to go through where we didn't have phones and the ability to record all the dumb shit that we did. <laughs> now it's fun now to get, you know, I go spend time with friends. I went to high school with a lot of us still live around here. We got kids. Now we'll get together, you know, have a few drinks and then go, man, you remember this, you remember that. And it's like, the only reason we get to talk about it is we were there to witness it. There was no proof. And we laugh about it now. And you think, you know, how the how our lives didn't go a different way one of yes. those things we stupid we did didn't go wrong i don't know i'm thankful it didn't but i don't know why and uh just thinking back like man the way kids can record and it never goes away now ever yeah. so once again we can spend a whole 30 minutes or an hour <laughs> talking yeah. about that and that may come up in the discussion for the father's day thing as well but when yeah. i tell you it is amazing i mean like, i used and i was the photographer of the group too i used to, yeah. i used to have a I used to work at CVS and Eckers Pharmacy. So I used to work in a photo lab and I used to know how to do the disposal. Can- and I love taking pictures, love, you know, and my, I used to have one of my friends, uh, he passed away. We'll, once again, we'll talk about that uh, on another episode, but and he was like, why do you take so many pictures? And so you never know when it's going to be our last time. You know, these are, Ooh, yeah. these are legit moments that it would never be forgotten so i used to take just casual photos like us hanging out playing madden and things of that nature sega whatever and now you know when facebook first came around and i started posting some of these old pictures and things they're like oh my god they're taking them and posting them showing it to their kids and family now Mm -hmm. when they were young and but I used to have some that I have burned and destroyed the (laughs) negatives because (laughs) i'm like (laughs) we've learned a lot when i say but like I, I graduated 2004. We were in the last year before the camera phones and everything. Yeah, we used to, <laughs> yeah couldn't do it. Could do, incriminating left and right. But <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Steve. Thank you. How you feeling? Good. I'm enjoying this. This is oh. not, this is not what I expected, but it's good in a good oh, way. Good. I, I love when it. I sit down and do these, it's so surface level. You know, we just do this, do that, talk about what we do. This is very different. I like this. Oh. Oh, this welcome to everything culture. <laughs> like, we're here. We can we do deep dives. But what are your hobbies and how did you get into them? Um, so for a long time it was photography. I really just enjoyed be I like one of the things I really like to do, and people don't see it as much now who started following me in the last year is what I used to really like to do was go out at night um and do a lot of photography around downtown Seattle. And mm-hmm. I like to go find things that you see frequently. And then show them to you in a way you've never seen them before. And so I like to use extremes of my lenses, shoot very wide angle or extreme telephoto where I'll go back and shoot something from blocks back 
through a long lens because the compression is very different and it can stack things very differently. Or then when you go wide and go up close to something, how you can separate it from everything else. There's a lot of cool things you can do, especially with cities at night because there's so much available lighting. And uh, you can learn a lot about a city and, and what makes a city uh, live at night when most of the people go home and everybody else is kind of left to just roam and do what they want to do. And so whenever I travel, I like to say, when I go to San Francisco, I like to go out two, three in the morning, go out, walk the track, go see those areas that again, people would go the other way and avoid. There's so much you can, you can feel in those moments. That's very real and raw. And so that was a lot of what I did. I'd post stuff on Instagram and it was kind of taken off. People kind of vibed with what I did. Um, but then then that kind of turned into the path we get into probably later a different question but that has got me on the path that i am now but between that um i like to drive i really like i used to drive uh, uh 18 wheelers i like to operate a lot of equipment i fly helicopters i like a lot of mechanical type stuff um i was never somebody who could run really fast and do that kind of stuff so for me it's you know it's through my hands and being able to actually control machinery and you know stuff like that so i really like it so for 2017 i started flying helicopters as a hobby i don't get to do it as much anymore that was one thing i do miss about home building is uh you get a lot more um opportunity to have expensive hobbies and things yeah. like that that you know i don't get to do anymore and i miss a bit but um uh so flying traveling uh, I don't, you know, I'll hike, I'll do some of that. It just doesn't do it for me. You know, it's, it's, there's all this like lead up, but I, I didn't mind flying. They're really hard to get to destinations, do a little bit of a hike. But, um, and then I also, another part of my life, it's not really hobby, but kind of is, uh, I'm also King County EMT. And then I was also a firefighter. Now I have a beard, so I can't wear the SCBA mask and run into burning buildings anymore. But a lot of my time is really focused on that and community work back. And then I became a King County fire commissioner back in, 20, uh, uh, basically a year and a half ago. And so a lot of my free time is really focused on that and trying to figure out from a community standpoint where we need to be in five years, 10 years, and trying to give back to the community as much as possible. So, and, and, and you know, hobby is kind of a weird term to use to that, but that's, you know, it's my free time and that's what I like to go do. Steve, great beard, by the way. And, <laughs> and yeah, we're balling and bearded brothers. <laughs> I have a face oh. that looks much better with a beard. It's the only way I get a decent jawline. So <laughs> I want to keep this. We ain't in hand. But <laughs> first of all, like, oh, you know, I'm going to start switching that question up from hobbies to passions. Yeah. Because the things that you have, those are true passions. And right. you're one of the first people that I like, okay, this person does more than me. Like I was like, usually I'm worn out and I'm like in the community, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I'm like, okay, I don't feel bad anymore. This I'm not crazy, but trying no. to give and trying to make that change. So you'll be surprised how from being from firefighting to EMT to just what you're actually doing, going into the communities and going to streets where people once again may turn their head or uh, ignore or just shrug off. Showing that perspective in life is reason why we do what we do here as well so nice. yeah. seriously thank you i am enjoying this conversation here so here. steve <laughs> we need your recommendations <laughs> give us your recommendation for a book a movie oh. and a television series television series succession on hbo they just wrapped it up but that's one of my favorite shows um okay. similar concept to i mean complete opposite end of spectrum as far as what the storyline is but very similar to my other which is sopranos 
um, okay. going back a ways, but that same kind of story arc where, and I think it's so true to life. You have, you know, in succession, the concept is it's a media family and at the top peak of their game and where the series starts, there's going to be the father's it's, he should probably retire. And then the, one of the sons will probably succeed him as CEO of the company. So mm-hmm. succession. And if you look back at Sopranos, it was Tony Soprano who then wanted to probably become not just the boss of New Jersey, but also continue up from there. And, and then what is that path? And if you go back and look at both series, you don't realize it being because those series go on for years, right? And so you follow those characters and you kind of forget where you start. You remember parts, but you don't remember. If you really go back, the, both of those series start out at probably the happiest they'll ever be. Mm. Then as that path of them trying to get more and do more and acquire more, they become more unhappy as time goes on. And you don't realize it because you follow them to the end. And then I, I finished Succession. They just had the series finale on Sunday. So it's like, I'm going to start it over. Why, why and it's like, these aren't even the same characters. And you forgot. You're like, oh, they're funny. They're happier. They're, and that's the that's really it, right? Is if you go so hard and that's all you're after, you're never going to enjoy it anyways. You'll lose so much of yourself in doing it. So probably a longer answer than you expected on that. But, you know, TV says those are the kind of shows I like where it has that message. Let me tell you something to make you a little bit more comfortable. The longest interview I've had is two and a half hours. So you're okay. okay. All right. Just, <laughs> okay, this is your episode. All right. <laughs> you be free. Be, we talking. Got it. Uh, movie Sicario. I, I love Sicario. The first one, um, the, the visuals, the c- c- cinematography of it and the use of, which is nothing succession is great about too, but um, the soundtracks become a whole nother character and bring you into it in a totally different way. So Sicario is a, a rough movie if, you know, it's not for kids. It's, you know, it's a heavy, heavy concept. But, um, and I, so I usually give two answers. I give Sicario. The other one I give that not a lot of people ever saw was one the Hughes brothers did back in the 90s called American Pimp. And, and you know the movie. Yeah. Yes. So it, it you know, the critics panned it. I liked it. Um because I felt like it, you know, I think that it got hit as though they were somehow kind of exploiting the whole situation. But I think a lot of people who watched that movie and enjoyed the people who were in it, that's the point. They made it out like the filmmakers were trying to gloss over, make it more likable. But if you can watch it and like and see the charisma, how do you think somebody who's really struggling in life is going to see them? And that's the fact that people did like it. That's the point, right? Let them speak the way they want show the way they want to be shown. And if you're struggling at the end to figure out whether or not they were shown too positively, that's the message that that's something you should look because there's a lot to learn about life in that. Trust me. <laughs> Once again, I remember watching that the year it came out and yeah. I was young, like I was in middle school mm-hmm. and I, already, I learned a lot. Doesn't mean I always say I can observe and not absorb. Like yeah. I can pick out some things I've learned from it. And it's very unique that it's American pimp and they talked about society and how, you know, the things correlate with one another and me yeah. working in certain courtrooms and courthouses. I'm like, I see what you're doing right here. Yes. <laughs> like, one of the and, big interesting things about it too. So if you remember, there was uh, Dennis Hoff who owned the bunny ranch in Las Vegas. So he mm-hmm. was the, they were wanted to have this one chapter that was about the legal side of it. So Dennis Hoff comes in, who's uh, extremely unapologetic. Um, kind of rough in the way he talks. And then you have 
this other group of people. And if in one part of it in the movie, it talks about what do you do if the women don't listen to what you want them to do. And they were all pretty blunt about the things that they would do mm -hmm. to get compliance. Dennis Hoff was the one person who said, well, she doesn't want to date some, that's, you know, we have security. It all works out so they can find somebody else. In the end, when they went and sent that actually out to test audiences, the most disliked person in the entire movie consistently was Dennis Hoff. And mm. that, right. And so that to me was like, that's interesting, right? Because it's in the presentation. He's, you know, if you haven't seen the movie in a while, his clips in there, he just is, he's, he doesn't dress it up. He's not very charismatic. He's just yeah. who he is. And Businessman. That's it. And it rubbed people the wrong way. And so, and yet he was the one person who advocated for, yeah, they need to have rights. They need to have this. They need to have that. And people were like, they just didn't mess with it. And that's it. It's all how you dress it up. You, you you giving me ideas for it, it was going to be it was going to be a future conversation no matter what but i talked about even what we, what does it look like now um once again i grew up in the era in my culture where we have you know ugk is my favorite group yeah bun b pimp c so i very well have done magic on um, what magic done one yeah. too short was my favorite rapper when i was a little boy like, yeah. had no business being my favorite rapper um <laughs> Don't ask me how I knew Heidi Fleiss name so <laughs> frequently. It was a lot of big hitters. And then they even had um what's the rich? Oh my good goodness. Not from the Mac. It was a Superfly. Superfly. Huggy Bear. Yes. Was it Huggy Bear? Was it? Yeah, yeah, like, that's so right. Yeah. They talk about the culture of him. You know, I'll, and once again, and they talk about how it aligns with it. Once again, this is the American way. Yeah. And it's really in depth to even now that you see how OnlyFans and things are working out. And right. like, that's a change in culture. And right. I was like, because the internet, all these things, and it was said that a lot of things, it may not be so much physical now with, you know, but it's more on the well, you know, and how this is the oldest profession. It, you know, I can get all in detail about it and I'm just learning, <laughs> just listening yeah. and learning and paying attention. So Do you remember the one, there was one, his name, the name he went by was Gorgeous Dre. And he was the one who went to prison at the end. The only one who actually, they had him going in there. He went into Clark County. He'd been taking girls, underage girls across state lines. Mm. So what we now call sex trafficking, it was called something different then. And, uh, but he, he was an interesting guy because he would talk about his father and the stuff he learned from him. And it would just, his speech, the way he would speak was very different than the others. And I've watched that movie. I can't tell you how many times I watched it. I really dug it. It was one of the early on. I was it was where I was like, man, I would love to do storytelling and, and start bringing this stuff out. So it really stuck with me. And I and I still I own two copies now because it's really hard to get. So I had to go on eBay and buy them because they pretty much wiped it out. It didn't do well at the time commercially and got harder to get. So um, all I just say, I've watched it enough that I know everybody very well. And one of the gorgeous Dre, his name is actually Andre Taylor. He's hired by the city of Seattle and worked for them for two years under Jenny Durkin as the street czar. Yeah. And this was her attempt at trying to connect with community. <laughs> it didn't go particularly well. Um, yeah, because, I mean, you can just think of the headlines of a move like that, right? Like whether yeah. or not he was the right pick or not, I don't have an opinion. I, I, I thought it was very interesting. I ended up talking with him one time up when CHOP was happening up in uh, Capitol yeah. Hill. And I was like, man, I, this guy seems so familiar. The way he would speak, he looks very different now. His head shaved, he's got a beard, and it didn't hit me. And so later on, I chat with him out there because I was covering kind of what was happening. And I Google him, I was like, 
no way it's gorgeous dre i've watched this guy <laughs> how many times it's the same guy and uh after a while i think he worked there for a year and a half or so and they ended up parting ways paying his contract out but the headlines were so brutal because they would just say previous sex trafficker hired by jenny durkin to connect with the community and and the, the headlines wrote themselves so I have no idea whether or not he was effective. I just saw it kind of as a as an outsider looking in and thought, man, of all things, tw you know, this 20 years ago, I was watching this DVD I'd first rented from Blockbuster. Yeah. Then I buy the thing and then run into the guy up there and he's working for City Seattle. What a trip. Uh, oh, how life ch changes. But yeah, what you do, it will come to light with them headlines. <laughs> There's no running from that. <laughs> goodness, goodness, goodness. Okay. So we need your book now. Book. Um, I don't read books very much. What would a good book be? Uh, actually, uh, it goes back a ways. I, I remember I listened to it on Audible. I'm a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. I grew up in the 80s, right? Action movies. And uh, his career, I find extremely remarkable. And just it's an interesting story, kind of how he goes through everything. And then he's got into politics and he's making another comeback now. He's got a... A series on Netflix that I don't even know if it's good, but I'll watch it anyways because he's involved. A lot of his stuff, if you go back and watch, really wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah. know, he, just, he wasn't a great actor. It just was it was the 80s. It was he was Arnold Schwarzenegger, though. That's you know? it. And so I think his Netflix thing is probably not good. If he ever actually sees this and I'm like this big fan, and he'll be like, I'm never talking. If I remember, I'm never talking to him. He seemed like he'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, I probably like, ah, I know. <laughs> so uh so yeah, he uh, his biography was really good, autobiography. It was really good, long, but went through his entire life. And, and if uh, somebody's looking for a story about somebody who came over here and somehow managed to uh, conquer at a really high level, marry into a, the Kennedys, the whole thing. I mean, it's it's wild that guy's path and how that came together. And um, yeah, and, and and was a strong force politically. I oh, yeah. think that pretty well ended when he was done. He still, he plays around a lot in the background. Also an interesting fact, he was rich well before doing movies. He made a lot from that, but it was, he was, had a, yeah, that's right. From lifting weights. And then his, he had a very successful bricklaying company and then the earthquakes at California and him and Lou Ferrigno had to lay a lot of bricks and made a ton of money. So by the time he did, um, oh, what was that first Conan? Uh, he made nothing on that thing. It was it was just to get in. But then he was the one who really kind of designed. You find in every industry, there's somebody like Michael Jordan with Air Jordans. That was the first person to come out and say, hey, yeah, you can pay me a fee, but I want a percent too of the long That's term. It. You can pay me less fee, but I want that cut. He did the same thing and he did it in his movies. And it was when all of a sudden, you know, it's how he ended up making hundreds of millions of dollars was he would go in for next to nothing up front, but he got a cut. And he was the guy who designed that. And so it was... You know, I'm sure his agent had a lot to do with it too, but the way he says it in his book, he he was the brainchild of that. Okay. And what's the name of the book again? Uh, I believe he had something that was like his own line. I don't think it was I'll Be Back, but something like it was Arnold Schwarzenegger autobiography. And I think it's five or 600 pages. I, I killed it on a trip over to Spokane. Between there and back, I was able to listen to it in the car and get from front to back. And we like Audible, so that's good for yeah. us too. <laughs> yes. So. For your book, you have Honor Schwarzenegger's biography. Mm -hmm. Then you have for the movie, there's a Cesario. Mm -hmm. And for the television series, I'm going to give you two. He says Sopranos and Succession. Yeah, Succession is the most current. Everybody knows that one. Yeah. 
All right, all right, perfect. We have to get into it. See, there y'all have it. There y'all have it. So, all right. If you had this phone, and with this phone, it had the type of technology you can call anyone you wanted to call, whether they be real, fictional, here, no longer here, but you had three phone calls, who would you call? Okay, so first one's probably the most practical. Uh, it would probably be my grandfather. He passed away before I was born. He's who I'm named after. He, the family talks about him a ton. Very complicated guy. Um, so my full name is Stephen, but spelled with a PH in the middle, no V. And that was how his was spelled. So he was uh, Stephen Gabelt, and he was also uh, the American ambassador to Africa, and had a very yeah had a very serious military career. Uh, then did that. And back then it was called the Chargé d'Affaires because they didn't, they had an embassy at the, that time, but there wasn't what we now look at as an ambassador, but basically the same thing. And um, the family talks about a lot. Uh, from my understanding, he was a very complicated person, very, had a very dark side, also had accomplished a lot, but being named after him and just hearing so much about him growing up and all the pictures stuff, I would be very interested to actually talk with him and see what makes him tick. Um, wow. I'm a huge Bill Clinton fan. I he's that's another biography I really like. I think he's, you know, now the way politics goes is so divisive that the, mm. the Clinton name's gone through a lot of uh versions over the years. But I, I, I find him remarkable. I think he, he. I think history will be kind. I think right now it's, you know, it just depends on who you talk to, their take on him. I don't think he's a, a dark character now. It's just, I think with Hillary running for president unsuccessfully, just all that came with that, that was something unique. Um, so, but Bill Clinton, I'm a big fan of his. I really liked his autobiography too. I think um, he just put out a, uh, not a TED talk, but another thing basically on leadership that I was planning on listening to because he is somebody who I think is a natural leader. And a, and a unifier. Um, so number three, number three. I'm trying to th I'm trying to think of something not easy. So somebody who would, you know maybe not everybody would think about. Is your cause? Okay, here's a weird one. If if I would like to talk to future me, then me and me in decades from now and say. Was I on the right track? Was I not? What should I avoid? What should I go harder on? You know, because you, as you get older, you seem to get more nuanced and more reflective. And there probably future me would say, man, don't do this or do that. Don't let this thing go away. Take that other thing more seriously. Could learn a lot. I either future me or past me. Past me, maybe past me more, right? <laughs> you you know that's one of the, that was one of our questions that was i was like we have a question that is a would you rather would you rather go back in time and speak to your younger self or is your future self come and talk to you now i think posed like that i probably would have picked past me because past me is going to dictate so much of the future i'm sure past me 20 years ago still has things that are going on that i don't realize that are going to dictate 20 years from now me you know, you think it's all in the moment, like somehow you've got so much control now, but you don't even realize the seeds you planted or whatever that is from years ago that are still going to come back around. So 
I think if I could go back and tell myself. What age would you go to? Ooh, 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 ooh. I would like to think like junior high, mid-teens me, but I don't know that mid-teens me would hear it. That was the next question. <laughs> it's like, yeah. would you I don't listen think to you could. I think, mm-hmm. I think you'd have to hit that age, you know, and I wasn't even like a punk kid. I just think I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have the understanding or the willingness to really be able to let it sink in. Because I think as you get older, back when, you know, when you're 18, you're like, just tell me how to do the thing. How do I go mm-hmm. out and make a bunch of, how do I get rich? Tell me the steps. There aren't really steps to things like that. You don't realize that till later, that there's mindset, there's nuance, there's all those other things. So with that in mind, I probably would need to talk to early 20-something me, you know, where you've kind of gotten out in the world, realized maybe you weren't as as, uh, good or as tough as you thought you were. You got out there, experienced a little bit of pain somewhere in there. Um, I probably want to talk to that version of me. We love it. Look at you. Oh, like I know our viewers are listening. Like the the ones that always come back. You jumped ahead on that one. Good job. Good job. <laughs> so, Steve, what has been an impactful moment in your life? There've been many. I'm trying to think of one that I can summarize well here that maybe kind of has affected a lot of things. I think there's lots of moments, right? There's I there's those core memories, those things. I think with so many times it's easy for us to think of stuff when we're adults because those seem to be the most impactful. But I, I think we undervalue the impacts when you're much younger because it just all becomes this mesh of what you thought back then was. But um, I don't, um, so I'm not going to go specific moment, like a ha- you know the time of day and so on. I think, um, you know, I had an immediate family member become homeless for a couple of years. And when that happened, I cut ties with that person because that was the only thing I knew to do at that point. I had my daughter and thought, you know, I need to protect my daughter and try and keep her from going down dealing with the same things that I had to deal with being around somebody who went that path. And I think I fundamentally made the right decision, but the motivations were not as what I thought they were. At the time, I thought it was, I just need to do this right thing and I need to, you know, divide and conquer. And then later on in life, some years later, I really got into advocacy for people experiencing homelessness, and, and which is easy to do in Seattle because there's a lot of it. And I think I realized later what really drew me to doing that was when that happened, the first go around with somebody who was very close to me. I don't think I had the understanding or the ability to be able to really help them. And so instead of, and since I couldn't help, it was cut it off, be done. And yeah. so later on in life, I think I was kind of trying to make up for that and show like, hey, I, now that I understand a lot more of what the cause and effects of those things can be, I think it, it fundamentally changed me and kind of my view of the world and um, what people who are really struggling in life may be going through. And that doesn't mean you have to accept it as okay or not okay, but be able to understand, you know, the, the cliche term that it is what it is. There's only so much you could do for somebody. So when they hit that, that bottom, we need to be able to have at least the baseline systems in place 
to be able to let somebody live the way that they want to live, but be there so that when they're ready to come back out of that, we're there ready for them to be able to take them in to do so. Um, but I think that, you know, it'd be easy to say, well, my, my daughter was born and all that stuff, but that's also easy. So I think, you know, I think really that experience, seeing that, and it's, it's shaped a lot of my kind of worldviews and views on what I think would help what the city's going through and such now. Oh, that's perfect. Perfect. And the impact is the meaning of it to me is like change your outlook on life. Like you just said, yeah. thank you. Steve, what's your theme song? What song represents you the best? Ooh. Theme song. Kid Cuddy, tequila shots. Mm. <laughs> it's a dark song if you listen to it it's very dark but um i think when he wrote it he was going through it. he's he's been pretty vocal publicly about the pain and such he's dealt with so i'm not you know i'm not hearing something out but there are a lot of lines in that i listen to that song frequently it's one of those when i first heard it it was like just on a loop in my car for a week or so and um I'm trying. I, I really think that's it. That that song really hit because there was there was just a lot of dark, darkness and pain and just you know what do you expect? Tell them I'm sorry. You know. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of how to explain it better, but that that song is one that there's so there's those songs that just the beat hits right and you just vibe with and you don't yeah. even know really why you don't even really listen to what's you know all the words but you're not really that's one throughout the whole thing it was just it was felt very profound to me thank you thank you and kind of transition to our next question how would you define joy i like that you use the word joy because i think people say well we'll experiencing happiness right and i think happiness i think i don't know that many people ever get to experience happiness mm. i i haven't i've i'm able to experience joy enjoys in the moment i think the idea that people are in this pursuit of happiness it's something you'll never really get to so to me joy would be maybe it would be the closest to happiness i could feel but if seeing my daughter and i believe she knows she's loved she knows she's cared for she loved unconditionally that to me is the thing that brings joy because I know that that can't be taken from her because it's ingrained in her and I see it. And, you know, what we talked about earlier and the way she'll come and communicate with me and the things that she's had to deal with, you know, kids in special needs are a lot different than when you and I went to school. Usually those rooms that dealt with that were pretty tragic places in school. And it's a lot different now in, in a good way, a very good yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she is able to go through life knowing that she knows that her path is unique but it is special and it is her path alone that she gets to make however she wants and interpret however she wants. And that she has the strength to be able to do that because she knows she's loved for who she is. Love that. Love that. And when you say things are different, trust me, I've been part of the IEPs and EAPs yeah. and things that in the art meetings. And when you got your kids in a good school with people who care, it's amazing. You know, things are set up for yes. success. So I can't say that. I've seen both sides of it. Let me tell you that. Oh, man. So 
We've been very thankful. Tahoma School District is amazing. And um, they've been very instrumental in, in her path. And, and it, it's been very good. Very thankful for them. Shout out to y'all. So <laughs> a good teacher and a good faculty make hell of a difference in the future of a child. We say that. Um, next question. When did you realize you were different? I think we're all different. So I was, I was trying to go down the path you were going. And I think, I think a better answer, we are all different. And I think it's, it's, it's not that I'm different than everybody else. It's everybody is different. But when you realize that and you embrace that, hmm. you know, the type of mindset, like you talked about, you got to have all these things going on just to feel normal. You know, I used to deal, not a lot of people can have 20 things happening. I'm the same way. I got to be wired like that. And that can be very hard in certain work environments and a lot of places that you may go work or, or may have to coincide. Don't value that. And it can be a frustrating thing to deal with. And um, I am very thankful that the path I took was more in a, of an entrepreneurial path, which in that, that means you can kind of create your own systems and reality around you. You choose the people who are going to be in that circle or not, who are going to work for you, all that. And you can cater a life that works. And then what you find through that path is, you know, I was, I grew up always being told that I wasn't hitting goal. I was, I was like the, I was the nice kid who never saw his potential. That's usually what the teachers were right. Never gets his potential. You start thinking, I must just be lazy. I must not be smart enough. And then you find out later in life, no, actually, I'm very capable. Now I'm capable because I was able to create an environment that works for the way that my weird mind works. Like when I've in the past in the building company, I had to be very selective with the people who could work in my management team because um, not only do I have to know that they can do the job, they have to be able to work around somebody like me. And I'm not an easy person to work with. I'm very loyal. I'll be there with you all the time, but I'm intense. And that can be hard for people. So you have to find and get that together. But when it all comes together, you realize, hey, this fact that I can be over here and be over here and work on this and get in is actually a really good thing in the right setting, in the right scenario. So realizing that, I think it hit me more in my 30s as I'd kind of built an organization around what made my mind work. And then in my late 30s was really able to kind of capture that and say, I'm okay being me. I don't, I'm not going to continue to try and change to be what everybody says I'm supposed to be. I'm me. And I need to create a path that works so that what makes me me can be um, an asset and not a detractor. We'll say it. We'll say it. Y'all, <laughs> this is the makings of Steve with everything culture. All right. You got you, you knocking them out. You got maybe 10 more, 10, 11 okay. more questions. You're good. <laughs> All right. All right. Matter of fact, let's give it a little time right now to do a little break and we'll be right back with y'all. Hey, what's going on? It's your host, Drake. Be Drake with everything culture. Just want to butt in real quick and ask for y'all support. Now, y'all know I greatly appreciate all the love that you're showing listening to the show. But I have to ask, could y'all please leave us a review? And if you don't know how to leave a review, don't worry. I got you. You can go to Apple Podcasts, find everything culture. Make sure to click on the name of the show. Scroll down to where you see ratings and reviews. Please hit that five stars or just leave your honest opinion. Then right under that, you can drop us a review. Um, leave a subject line, the catchier, the better. And just tell us how you feel. That goes a long way with supporting us. But let's say you don't have an iPhone. 
what should you do then we got you with that too you can go right over to spotify find everything culture again and you just want to hit on the ellipses at the top right and it will pop up where you can rate the show they see there you go there you have it now make sure to subscribe to us on youtube and anywhere else you may listen to everything culture um we greatly appreciate your support we love y'all and let's get back to the conversation let's get back to the show peace all right we are back beautiful people with the makings of steve with everything culture steve what privileges do you benefit from oh wow that is oh that's a good question okay privileges i am privileged to have grown up in a household where i felt loved i am privileged to be in an area like Seattle that has been thriving for a very long time. And I've been able to ride some of that rise in my own business as well, which has given me opportunity to do the things that I not just, those are the things that I needed to do, which gives me the opportunity to do the things that I want to do. I am privileged to be a father. I am privileged to have had success and failure and probably more privilege to have been able to get through that failure in life and learn from that. I am privileged through my other life on the first response side to be able to help bring order to people's worst days and hopefully a better outcome from when I showed up to when I leave. And I am privileged to be able to live through other people's experience around me and learn from those experiences. You just touched on one of my mentor um, mottos. I always tell people, you, well, I tell my kiddos, you learn, people learn different ways. If you either you learn from other people's mistakes, you learn from your own mistakes, yes. or you unfortunately gonna learn from just having a sore ass. But all those different things is <laughs> like, those are ways to go learn, you know, but hopefully you will learn. That's the main goal of it. Okay. Thank you. And what areas in your life do you need to heal? Oh boy. My brain defaults on some of your questions. I want to like pick back and well, what well define healing, right? Which is really just a way to try and stall and find a path Ow. forward so i'm tr- i'm fighting that urge i appreciate you um, for recognizing that too <laughs> um i think I, I fight becoming too much of a cynical person i think what has helped me in business is something i realized early on that i kind of had a way of pulling out of people was you you know when you meet especially if you if you need if you're in business you're trying to accomplish something with somebody you've met whether that be they're going to finance your project or they're going to bring you a real estate my, you know a lot of my analogies will be real estate based you know you want to figure out can I trust this person right so you start going oh oh so you like to golf and oh you're a family man and all these like positive things I want to know what you do when nobody's looking when you think you can get away with some shit that's what I want to know and I will not judge you for it. But that's when I realized we're in, right? We're talking. So sometimes I'll throw out some comment that maybe even sounds inappropriate, but I'm looking for that ind- indicator where 
were you shocked and offended or did you kind of get that smirk like, ah, and I'm like, okay, I got you. We're breaking it open now. Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got those things that they would laugh about that they wouldn't say publicly and so on. And so always trying to crack somebody open to go, show me the person you are when you think no one is looking, then figure out what your flaws are as a person. And then you become predictable and in a good way, right? We all have our flaws. Everybody does, but that has a way of becoming cynical very easily because you're always kind of look as I think I think people's flaws are what drive them more than what they strive to be generally and so as I kind of realized that that worked for me and I was able to connect with people and kind of figure them out you do start seeing people in a dark way so easily when that's what you're trying to crack them open and find and so um I think I you know as I'm I've gotten away from the real estate side of my life, which I think, um, you know, as I've said earlier in this conversation, gave me a lot of opportunities. Uh, it also just changes your view. I think it's one of the, and I say all these things and saying I've, I've been in that space, I've been this person, so this isn't pointing at others, but, you know, it's a narcissistic type of business. <laughs> it's, you know, you the the more ruthless you are, the more you will be rewarded. People in the national spotlight that we all point at who've um, maybe even got to run a country and we go, well, look at how that person does it. That, that, this will be the closest I'll get into politics, but that is not an anomaly. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. is, it's dressed differently there and it's said more bluntly where somebody like me will say, well, I'm trying to protect the integrity of the project and, and represent my investors well. He'll say, yeah, we're not going to pay that guy and blah, blah, you know, but we basically come up with the same plan. I just dress it. And I believe what I'm saying as much as he believes what he's saying. And I think that was a, a bit, uh, this might've been a good answer for your question about moments earlier. I had that moment years ago as I, I, I found him to be a very intriguing person. I read his books as well and then saw get on a national stage and really get in front of people and, and start to rewire people and how they would interpret it. And I just go, and then as I started looking, going, I have a lot of those similar qualities that I apply in my day-to-day -day work life. What does that say? Because I want to sit there and point and say, look at how this person's conducting themselves. And I think that that's bad for society, but are they really that much different than me? And if not, what am I doing? with my life and my time. If I can point over there and say, that's terrible and somehow take that off of me and try and project it elsewhere. Mm. So I think where you started the question was, you know, place to heal. I think I'm just trying to not become overly cynical. And then that realization that we all have this version of ourselves and uh, sometimes it masks a darker party than you want to acknowledge. That's deep. Trust me. <laughs> I got some cool. Once again, we can talk about that for a long time too. Because <laughs> I, I ugh, ugh, and the work I've been and and social and just pay, sit back and just watch social media. Yeah, I, I just and I really sit back and I just pay attention to people with large subscribers or people who just quote unquote influencers. Yes. And even people say, oh, you're an influencer. I like, dude, not follow me. Why? The? And I tell people, stop listening to people on the internet. Like, yes. and when people ask me for advice, like personal advice, like stuff to do with their kids, I'm like, I don't even have kids. What the hell are you asking me for? But it's 
but I really it's so hard too in other people's lives. Like I don't know all the things you have. You have parts. You're telling me you want me to help you solve your problem with the things you've been willing to tell me, and that's not the whole story. Yeah, ooh, There's ooh, so ooh, more, right. So you're giving me just what you want to let out the box, and then I'm supposed to help give you life advice? No. I'll, Maybe I can be a hype man for you and tell you you're going to see your way through it and be there to support you. But I can't give you the path. Only you know that path. As a previous social worker, caseworker, let me tell you, that's usually how it is. They go, but that's why I always ask these little deeper questions. What's your really like <laughs> everything you're saying? What, like when I used to go and visit kids and I'm like, how you been? Good. What's good? Yeah. You know, you, after that third, Really, what's going on? What's good? That, that's when everything starts to spill. I'm like, okay, now we're making some progress. But, yeah. oh man, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Steve, you got biopic coming up. Who would you have play you? Ooh. Who would di- help direct? You know, who would be your director for the film? What network would it drop on? Would it go straight to theater? Uh, would it be <laughs> like on a streaming service? And what would it be rated? Ooh, ooh, okay. I'm gonna do it in reverse because maybe this will help me get to where I need to be here. So it'd be Netflix. I think it'd be stream. I think it'd be kind of gritty. You know, it probably wouldn't have mass commercial appeal, but with a niche audience and and, um, keeping the cost low as you could on a streaming platform, you could probably tell the story right. So this goes back, especially when I had hair and such. Everybody, and, and especially when I would kind of let loose more. Uh, Vince Vaughn and I have very similar mannerisms in the way we would speak and the, our sense of humor. And so he doesn't do a lot of serious stuff, but if he could do something serious, I, I think it would be kind of a full circle life thing. When I was in my 20s, everybody said, man, you seem so much like Vince Vaughn. I don't hear that much anymore. But I have hair I'm all, like standing up on. I said, man, I see Vince Vaughn. Like legit, really? I like because I was thinking the the wedding crashes. I like I just had that feel. <laughs> yeah, when I start, you know, if I get in that mood and I just get real sarcastic, it's very similar. Just like you know, rapid fire, and either you find me funny or you think I'm an asshole. Hopefully, if you think I'm an asshole, it's because you're just not catching the joke. They go but hand they, in can, hand. they can look the same. I don't laugh at my own jokes. I know the punchline. I'm not going to sit here and laugh at. it. I'm just going to say it, and then hopefully the, the 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 room realizes it's a joke. And if they don't, it gets uncomfortable. But um who would direct it wow so another one of my favorite movies would be wolf of wall street which is martin scorsese if he if he just had nothing better going on and wanted to do a a, a biopic on me that would be that would be something but the way he tells a story is it would i think my life has had many twists and turns i've gotten to do some pretty cool things and 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 i've as i've alluded to i've I've fallen on my face plenty of times and i think his storylines generally are that and Wolf of Wall Street is kind of that. It's these ups and downs and everything in between. So that would be it. I love this. Love this. Thank you. Okay. So if you was wealthy beyond all means, money was not an issue, was not a problem. You can pay for what you want to pay for, take care of what you want to take for, take care of whatever. But you had to have one career, one job. What would you do? It would be the job I'm in now. I would continue. I mean, outside of philanthropy, which would be easy, but it sounds like the money I have has me set up, but now I get to do what I want to do. Not, not enough money to affect the world. Uh, I would want to continue down my path of being able to tell the world's story. The mm. stories that I cover on the day-to-day basis are kind of all over the place. What they really represent are things that I was reading that I found interesting. 
I get a lot of requests. I do cover a lot of um, tragic stories where families will hit me up, say, hey, I lost a loved one. We have GoFundMe needs. We'd like the story out. And sometimes it really is just, we don't even have any needs, but we think that the world just forgot this person exists. Would you help tell that story? I love doing it. And I found I've connected with so many people in such unique ways, including families. And I, the, the, I think the most challenging thing of what I do in that too, is I do get a lot of requests from stories that don't fit what I, they're, they're worthy stories. They don't fit what I do or the way that I communicate, or I can't validate a lot of what I'm being told. And I need to be able to get some third party validation, be able to go run with something. But, um, I love doing it. I, and I do a lot of national stories as well that um, may not be as meaningful to me, but I just find interesting. You know, I've had uh, this whole debt ceiling thing. There's so many more layers to that that don't mm. fit in a headline. And so I started doing kind of deeper dives on why do we have a debt ceiling? And, um, you know, others where I kind of lay out, I laid one out earlier this week that was like a minute and a half. And then put out the group, hey, would you like deeper dives? The feedback was great. So I start going in like, all right, now we'll do a second segment on this, second segment on that. Because most things don't fit on a bumper sticker. They're not tagline stories. You have to go a little deeper, but you have to kind of get the public to want to have it. The news, we always love to villainize the news and the media say, well, they do this, they do that. They do exactly what you pay them to do. And you pay them with your viewership. If you want them to change and you stop watching what you just apparently despise so much, they will switch it tomorrow. They will be completely different industries, but they are giving us exactly what we consume. And that's why I watch you. <laughs> when I tell you, I am not, if y'all hear this, it's, it's all love. I just, since I've been here to almost four years, I've been in Seattle. Like you are my news for Seattle. I'm just telling you that like legit. I, and I'm like, I sent um, one of my mentees your page because when you were talking about um, the extension of welfare and even for kids in foster care i like oh and then i was telling him he's about to be 20 he's 20, about to be 26 he was like i'm about to run out I'm like i think extension is about to happen <laughs> you know i said check out this article right here check out this video because this is a new way to communicate um and you know i will talk about it outside offside off of here but i have some co-workers that used to be big into the news and still in media right now and we've had discussions about the, the, the news and how to report news now with social media being what it is compared to the news and having what journalism integrity and i say sometimes i'll go to twitter before i pay attention to the news because twitter would give me the exact first hand insight what happened uncut raw before everybody else started giving their opinion but sometimes when you get to news, like, yeah, I'm gonna look at the news that they check the facts and things of that nature. But I've also seen the news don't share all of the facts, or all the perspective as well. So I'm there just sources like PBS NewsHour. I love PBS NewsHour. I watch it every day. They do a great job. Nobody really watches PBS NewsHour. Right? It's just it's not it's not something I watch and it's very dynamic. But if you can really just sit there and kill an hour, you'll get a great rundown. NPR is fantastic. Oh, right? Love NPR. Right. Love NPR. Amazing. But it's it's not what sells. If I go back and I, and I look at stories that I put up, the way I tell it dictates a lot of how it will hit in social media. Right. So there's yeah. always that little bit of like, I mean, I could probably pump out a lot more mil plus view videos, ones with many millions. Would I be okay with what I'm putting out? No, I have to find a balance and everyone's going to have to find that balance within who they are as they tell that story. 
Um, you know, I do in some of my stuff. I, I have a very sarcastic sense of humor. In, in my That's own. what I love too. By the way, I was going to say that you you come in and you say like some slick thing. I like because I would say that <laughs> you you're saying what I'm thinking. So I'm like, okay, let me hear the rest. Then you, but you, I, I'm informed in the same sense, you know. And you have to select it right. Like um, uh, two examples of just people that I, I've done stories on recently that I I don't think are serious people. Um, George Santos. That man's not serious. His, he has a remarkable story. There should be a movie done on his life. That doesn't mean he doesn't have a very worthy story that we should figure out how the hell did this happen. But he's not hes not accomplishing anything. You can have on the other end, um, another one who I, who I think is despicable, but Marjorie Taylor Greene. She actually accomplishes things. She is a serious person inside of an insane person. But I don't put her in the same thing. If I was to do a story about her, I probably wouldn't be as sarcastic because she actually does the work. And that's what actually I think makes her much more scary. But another one, Mike Lindell, I just did the MyPillow guy. That is not a serious man. Mm. He's obviously accomplished some things. He's I think he's probably more intelligent than he comes off or was at one point in his life. And now he's kind of gone off the deep end and he's a provocateur. So I tell those usually when I do a story on those two, I'll make it. You know, I'll throw in some more sarcasm just to put of like, this is absurd. We have a graphic now. So the editor who I work with is amazing in Photoshop. And so I had this concept of like, you know, you always have like Donald Trump used to always have these names. And I always thought a lion Ted. He used to call um Ted, I don't know, I can't remember his last name, but the Texas senator called Lion Ted. Oh, Ted. Um, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, yes. And he always called him Lion Ted. And I I remember when that first happened, it seemed so stupid, but I was like, that's remarkably effective. Like Everybody grabbed it. It was simple. And so I thought with uh, George Santos, like Lion King, but if you spelled it L-Y-I-N. So Laramie, the editor, put together this whole movie poster graphic with George Santos' head as the Lion King. And so I think I called him Indicted Queen and Lion King, George Santos. And like would go on and but try and deliver pretty straight, but throw stuff like that in there because it's like how this guy got here, I don't know. And I think it's. I think both sides are guilty of it. You, it's easy to say. Well, the people whose party he's in needed him, and they let it slide. The opposition party should have caught this shit too, and they missed it too. How did this happen? There's something in there we got to figure out um, that to make this make sense. Because I don't just buy. That. I mean, he's being used kind of as a pawn for votes until they finally had enough. They'll get rid of him. But those aren't the only villains. There's no hero and villain here. There's shades of gray in this thing. Again, that this is the makings of Steve once again. <laughs> but when I tell you this could we just I go and pour something up, man. Hey, have you ever seen a movie? I know you have. I don't know why I'm asking you because we we I ain't trying to take all your time talking about it, but the movie Idiocracy. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Gosh. Oh that that same seems so absurd 10 years ago or 15 years ago when it came out, and here we are. <laughs> Like seriously, I went when when we was going through the whole the pandemic and you know Trump was in office. I was like, this shit is scary. I was like, because yeah. they, I mean, when people were taking like like the horse tranquilizers and once again, I'm yes. I'm talking to people I know personally, like and it, or like are you, like don't don't do that, <laughs> like right. you know, like and like it felt like electrolytes, and yes. I'm like. What? Like the Mondo, right? Remember, yes, Mondo, I'm telling you, it on the cross. That's what <laughs> I'm telling you. Electrolytes, <laughs> and the, the that is the main like. I don't know, but what else? 
yeah. what else do you mean like that's <laughs> like okay and you know they you know then the kid thing that's i said i need to get some kids out here but <laughs> like because it's, it's scary but it is it's life though it's life um but you stay busy you know you got plenty of things going on and you're doing some great you're doing great work and have a so when you're doing all this good work how do you relax uh, I'm really good at, at at doing nothing. Like when I get a day off, I just lay in bed and I watch TV all day and I'm very content with that. Because if I go, if I break that threshold of doing nothing, it's going to go from nothing to I need to do 20 things. Mm-hmm. So I need to just sit in nothing and absorb nothing, enjoy nothing, or I'm going to go the other way. And then I'll wonder why I didn't, you know, I didn't relax that day. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Love it, love it. Got a few more questions here. You're knocking them out. You're knocking them out. (laughs) Okay, my favorite question. If you can have any meal at the snap of your fingers, what would it be and who would prepare it for you? So I'm a steak guy, um, which is an easy answer, but I really get, I I actually probably be myself preparing it. I like to, so I go through a whole process of, um, I like tomahawk steaks where the bone comes all the way out. Kind of looks like, yeah, yeah. You know, the big money. Yeah. 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 So, um, I go through a process of, I do 1800 degrees actually like infrared. So if you ever go to the steakhouse, you're going to get that crust so crispy and has that texture to it. And the inside still can be rare, medium rare. Usually you do that. I'll do uh, 1800 degrees on the top. It comes, I have a thing attached to my barbecue, um, another brand of it's called the beefer weird name but the beefer and you put it in there and it's only about a half inch off of the heat source at 1800 do the tomahawk about three minutes one side take it out flip it to the other i only put salt on it then it's um rosemary and butter and that's it and it comes out phenomenal every time and uh so i would prepare my own but it'd be a tomahawk i love them i can i can kill uh a very large size i have i have a big appetite i you know i clean the plate and so that would probably be it that and pho. My uh, other opposite, I love pho. pho. Pho noodle soup. That's my favorite. I'll do a U-turn on the freeway for good pho. Okay, okay, okay. Rocking with it. Okay, we see you. You got me enticed now. We have to whatever we do, I cook out or you know coffee. Yes. We got to bring. I bring the brisket. You bring the tomahawk. So we make it man. work. Yes, yes. All right. So, how would you want people to remember you? So this sounds so over the top, but I think it, it, I hope people see me as somebody who left the world better than he found it. And that sounds kind of grandiose, like somehow you've changed, you don't have to change the world. The world that you live in, which can be your immediate world, can be it, right? It's it's whatever you've affected. Hopefully you've left it better than you found it. Love it. Love it. Okay. What changes do you want to see in your culture? I would like to see compassion and people attempt to want to understand others. That doesn't mean you have to accept it and say, oh, every, you know, we can just let these things happen. But at least try to understand what the motivator, the motivations are of the other person, what the cause and effect is. And you may walk away like what I really hope to do in my kind of centrist, what I consider to be a centrist voice and the content that I put out is have people take a concept that they thought just fit in a headline and go, you know what? I didn't think about that. I may not agree with you still, but I didn't think about that. Mm. If I can get somebody to just take that moment of pause, I've done my job. 
And then they may continue down that path and want to explore more. But that's it. I want to take people who don't want to hear it, but find me to maybe be entertaining or funny or whatever and go, man, I didn't, I never thought about that before. That's it. That's all my, that's my goal in what I put out. Love it. Love it. The people who love me, you know, are already on my side. I mean, I, I love, I love to get the engagement. I need that to be able to get exposure, but they're already in the camp, right? I want to get other people to just take that moment of pause. We're working in the same, toward the same goal. Let me tell you that. Scary. Oh, but not scary. It's great. Say that. All right. Two more. Yeah. So how can we make this experience better for you? What can we, what could we've done different? As far as the sit down that we're having right now? Yes. Hmm. I was thinking when we started, it's like, oh, I would have loved to have had these questions ahead of time. And now going through this experience, I'm glad I didn't. I think it's a much better experience to have to actually work through it. Um, yeah, I don't know that I, this is, I don't think I have any. I mean, really, I, the one thing I thought was I wish I'd prepped and then going through it about halfway through, I was like, I'm really glad I didn't get to prep because it would have changed everything. Yes. Yeah. I would have had time to polish instead of working it out in front of you and doing the long division in front of you. <laughs> Let me tell you, I've had people that have been on the show and they try to polish, but it's just something you can tell when they start off and they're prep. But <laughs> I think, you know, I, you know, sometimes you got to teach your own horn, yeah. but I think sometimes, you know, I make people comfortable and you can tell like they, you know, I had a polished question here. I don't want to do it no more. <laughs> you know, this is how I really feel. And that's what I want. I want the real lot of folks, you know, the genuineness. Um, you know, that's what, but once again, but it's their episode. However, they want to do it. Sure. You get to do it and you've done yours. And last question, how can we support you? Okay. So a uh, couple things going on. So this is the studio. Everybody sees me in. usually I'm facing this way. I got my a whole bunch of gear over here and look back that way. Uh, next week, we're going to be in a different space in the house here. So this room is a couple hundred square feet moving up to 600 square feet upstairs. This studio will stay in place. Upstairs, there's going to be a podcast setup. There's going to be a business that we're going to create different um, sets, if you will, depending on what the story is. What the big changes. So TikTok has been a game changer. I put out a lot of content on why I think TikTok's one of the greatest platforms to ever be created. It's got some real challenges as well um, that I've experienced as well as a handful of other creators. So starting this week, content started going on YouTube. I'm going to expand that, start doing deeper dives. Twitter will be coming on Twitter. I'm a little nervous about Twitter just because it is pretty wild over there. But um, for that same reason, I think for what I'm, you know, it was my goal earlier to just get people to pause. Maybe I should get on Twitter and go over because people are pretty, pretty um, ready, quick to quick to the draw on what they think over there. So uh, I'm going to do that. They're also pushing live content over there a lot now, too. I've been on Instagram for a while. going to continue there, but um, Twitch will be coming on board soon, too. We're going to start doing a lot more live streaming, and the content's going to expand. So what I'm hoping is people, especially on YouTube right now, will go follow over there because I need to get, I think it's 10,000 followers to get the monetization over there. Um, but I really want to hammer on that more because TikTok, their monetization system has some real challenges on the moderation side i think it's ai driven base i don't i do not believe that they're sitting behind there trying to harm content but that's what's happening 
And uh, a lot of my videos have been pulled from the monetization fund saying that it's not original as if I just copied, as if it's not me. They've yeah, allowed yeah. over 20 fake accounts with my picture and my name on it that I've reported. They say there's no issue. Well, they're reposting my stuff. And if my stuff gets reviewed second, they say that I've reposted somebody else's stuff. Crazy. And it's cost thousands of dollars now. And now that I have an editor and other staff, you know, I have to pay these people. And so having that pulled is actually a big deal. So I'm hoping YouTube will fill that gap. Um, but the the podcast concept that I'm going with is trying to dive into some of these issues. Um, I'll give you a quick example. So Shot Shot Spotter is a product that is being used in Chicago right now and a number of other cities. And the concept of it is they put up these cameras generally in intersections, hot spots where there's been gun violence. So when a gunshot goes off, the camera activates, looks over toward and tries to gather as much evidence as possible. It has led to a lot of arrests. It also has a lot of people on the privacy side saying, hey, this is just government coming out and videoing everybody and keeping that data. I think that it would be great to have a place where we could actually bring in a representative from ShotSpotter, bring in Chief Diaz from City of Seattle. Let's also bring in some advocates who don't want this, but are able to really put some into the conversation and say, let's talk about it, let's go through it and address some of these points because it's it would be really easy for me to say, hey, bring a rep from ShotSpotter and let's talk and hear their side. And you're going to go, man, this is the best product ever made. Or I could bring in a victims that, you know, somebody worried about um, Big Brother and you're going to go, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen. You got to kind of bring everybody together. And so um, I've already got a couple guests lined up. One of um, one of the only fully staffed police departments right now is willing to come in and talk with me and say why they believe they are the only fully staffed police department on this side of the mountains right now. Now in that, they're going to be able to tell their side of the story. I don't have a counter argument to that, but I think it's interesting at a time where they're all complaining about police staffing, say, well, how'd you do it? And I, I can't tell you what city it is, but I'm, I will tell you this. It's not an easy city to be a cop. It's a very active city which generally those, no matter what time you look at, struggle to keep staffing and they're doing it. Um, I'd also like to sit down with people from all different parts of the community and, and, and start trying to dive in on some of this stuff. What I don't want to do is come in and say, hey, I'm gonna try and pull apart everything you say. This is your chance to say what you believe. I'll question some of it, um, but I'd like them to be able to come in and, and say their side and have a, a chance to explain it out. And then continue going through, but try and pick big, big issue things um, that affect everybody every day. I mean, we could do tons and tons of these on the homeless issue. Um, I think there's a lot more nuance to that whole thing as well that I would love to dive into in long form content. So that's what the podcast will be. And then we're going to continue to pump out news and pump out a lot more and hopefully with this live stream, be able to do some really neat stuff. Love it. Love it. We seem like we got a lot that we're trying to do and on the yes. same way. Because everything but see what you everything you're doing, that panel, before you come on the panel, I try to interview people individually, then come on the panel. Yes. That's how we really get and not saying questions. What wait, what's really how did you get into this work in the first place? What I love is and you did it. You've done it. Steve, you've completed the making with everything culture. Now if the people are looking for you and you're trying to be found, where can the people find you? 
It's the same name on every platform. Yeah. Photog, Steve 81. It's an old news term. Yo, they always call the photographers photogs. I came up with this name before I thought I'd get a big following. So it's kind of a weird name now, but Photog, Steve 81, Twitter, YouTube, Lemonade, though I haven't posted anything. I'm on Clapper now. Um, YouTube, TikTok. I think I said Twitter. So all of those, same name. Got it, got it, got it. We'll make sure we're going to put it out there for you. But once again, we want to say thank you. We greatly appreciate it. This conversation, learning more about you, you sharing yourself and being open and transparent, not only with myself, but with our audience. And we look forward to having you back on the show in the near future. Thank you, Steve. Thank you.